With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson with a ton of energy live here on a Monday morning talking all things NFL. We already have some players getting cut and that's what we're going to focus on here today. Not so much the cuts, but the, the, the team building aspect, Sam. Potential trade, cut candidates, players on the move, and then just kind of recapping everything uh, that just happened in the preseason. It's over. Mm. Regular season time. Yeah, what we actually learned from the preseason now that we've now that it's done, now that we've had it. Now that some teams have been forced to suffer through it with no intention of ever putting an important player near the field, what do we learn, Steve? Well, we also learned that there are some injuries. Uh, J.K. Dobbins yeah. injured, running back for the Ravens. We'll <clears> touch <throat> on that. Jamar Chase has the yips, can't catch the ball. The Texans, I, I made this prediction to you through text message, but I was, I was half joking that their crazy offseason of dra- you know, essentially signing a bunch of veterans who – with no long-term impact. They were Sign just going to trade them all for draft picks. It seems like they might be doing that. And I think we need to get into your theory of two QB systems because there's a few. 49ers did it. Yes. And then there's a few teams who could legitimately do it. Patriots. And, and today on the Daily, we break down Mac Jones versus Cam Newton and what should happen there. So um, a lot to get to here today. Uh, don't forget, over at PFF.com, though, all the grades from the preseason, every single player has been graded. Kickoff 30 is your promo code. You can get 30% off right now using kickoff 30 kickoff 30 i don't know how long this lasts do you know how long this lasts no but i would just i would just get on it right now so all the preseason grades all the nfl grades get ready for your fantasy season all your fantasy tools for as little as seven dollars using kickoff 30 kickoff 30 pff.com all right you want to get into some potential uh, trade and cut candidates here uh you want to let's do the preseason bit first let's 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 what we've learned recap what we've learned all right you want to start? Yeah. What have you learned in the preseason here? That you shouldn't play starters. Don't do it. Don't risk them. 
So that's what you've learned. You played J.K. Dobbins for a series. Dude doesn't have an ACL anymore. Mistake. Error in judgment. You didn't have to chase the 20th preseason win that, that hard. <laughs> can, we have, can we have some sort of ceremony for the Ravens here? It is the most incredibly... Somebody's, I, 20 straight. I think they were talking to Ron Rivera or something because they were playing Washington for this game. And he was like, I mean, it's not important, but it's amazing. Would you, you know raise what I mean? a banner? No. And I think that kind of sums it up. Like, in, if you were trying to win every preseason game, it wouldn't be difficult to do, right? Because all you would need to do is just play your starters and you win. Like, the second the team goes to the second team, which is usually earlier and earlier now, you have a massive advantage and you're going to win the game. But the Ravens aren't doing that. Like, they're not consciously going out there saying, we must ensure we win these preseason games. They're just winning, playing the same way as everybody else. And at which point, winning 20 straight, given all the variances of second team, third team, and the craziness that happens, is ridiculous. It shouldn't be happening. You know what that reminds me of, of course? No. The uh, 2007 Instructional League Giants. Instructs. You know. The what league? Instructional League. What? So the end of the minor league season, you send guys to Instructs, the Instructional League, in the fall. All your top prospects, plus I got invited one year. Uh And the Giants, we went undefeated. 2007. What is that? It's like playing uh, spring training games. So you just, it's like playing, it's like, it's like a month of spring training, but in the fall. So you just practice every day. You play games against, you know, the Cubs, the Angels, the A's in the area. And we just never lost. And then, you know, you started to see the, the fruits a few years later when the Giants won the World Series after they cut me. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? You just win an instructional league. Anyway, it's crazy. You're right. Because they're not even trying to win. They're just stumbling into wins. I, I would love to, like, glean something from it. Like, oh, the Ravens always have the deepest roster. It, it, maybe there's a little bit of truth in that. But yeah, I mean, it is ridiculous. I, you probably di- can't do 2015, that. 2015, we're talking, right? The last yeah. time they lost. It's, yeah, an NFL record, all-time record now. Um, you can't do that unless you have depth and decent coaching. And, like, it, it does – it almost certainly is instructional in some way, shape, or form that endorses the Ravens. But it doesn't just mean that, you know, every single year they have by far the deepest roster and their second team could, you know, beat most team starters and all that kind of thing. It is just an incredible record, an incredible run. Like, that might be harder to do than winning, like going undefeated in the regular season, um, winning that many straight preseason games when you consider all the extra craziness that gets heaped on board all these preseason games. But anyway, I started off this this point of being don't play starters but you're only looking at the one side of it you're only looking at the results now now so you've just quantified the injury that you saw the two injuries that uh-huh. you've seen now quantify the the benefit of actually playing your starters and having yeah. them prepare for the regular there season. isn't any there's not do that it's it's a figment of your imagination it's made it. up well last year nobody played in their starters because there wasn't any preseason everyone was fine uh, this season I, I make that statement all the time too but how do you know this season a bunch of good teams haven't sent their starters anywhere near preseason so we're going to find out the rams not only did they not play any starters but any any depth player of con- consequence hasn't been anywhere Their near top, the preseason like 45 didn't yes. the field so if the rams stumble to like a one and three start okay we can talk otherwise let's stop risking it it's pointless to everybody all I, you're doing uh, is risking injury I am looking forward to seeing that. It was interesting because teams treated here's what I here's one of the things I learned. Every team did something different in week three. So week the old way of doing preseason was your starters might see a series in week one. All right, you just you got out there, let's stay stay, you know, healthy. 
Week two, you saw a little bit more. Then week three was the old dress rehearsal week, yeah. right? It's like, oh, we're going to game plan. We're going to go through the half. We'll learn how to come out of the half. And you'll play almost either half plus, essentially, with your starters. And then week four was a lot like week one, which was get a series, and then let's go play football next week. Some teams used the third week of preseason, now that there's only three games. Some used it like the old week three, yeah. which was get the, get the starters in. Like Josh Allen played a half. Andrew Mayfield finally played. The Giants played a lot. Um, Tom Brady and the Bucks played a few series. I mean, so there's a lot of starters that played this past weekend. And then to your point, the Rams all the way through just didn't play starters. The, the Chargers, you know, we didn't see any Justin Herbert or, um, you know, the Bengals, of course, had a different situation with Joe Burrow. We just saw the, you know. But other teams treated that third game as like as the one where like number two was the dress rehearsal. And number three was get it, everybody out of there. Right. So two was the dress rehearsal. Like the Dolphins didn't play Tua or, you know, their guys yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it was it was just fascinating that that is that stuff is all over the place. But I think. And I think that probably speaks to what I'm saying. If you can't, if there isn't a consensus about what to do here, it's probably not worth the risk because you are risking them by putting them out there. So unless you can prove pretty conclusively that there is a clear and obvious advantage to getting those guys game time, and it's not like you're getting them a lot of game time. Like you are saying it is worth the one series you're putting them out there. It's worth risking the injuries, the ACLs, the, all those kinds of things, it, that's worth it for like five snaps. That feels like a tough sell. Now, if you're saying it's worth it for the full half to, you know, get the, get the, knock the rust off and get the experience and get everybody ready, okay, that makes a little bit of sense to me. But so like, you're either, give Mike me, Davis you're was out there for one snap this preseason. So you're either give him a whole half or keep him out of there. There's no, there's no in between there. Yeah, I just don't see the point in this, like, let's get the starters ready, let's send them out for a series and then pull them back in and put them in cotton wool. Like either you're either they are they should be put in cotton wool for the preseason or give them some actual game time where they might get something of benefit. Like the the first week for the Patriots, right? Cam Newton goes out there and plays the first um, series or or two or whatever it was, but the first series or two went so badly for the offense that they, it was like six snaps and he was done. And it's like, well, he didn't play badly in those six snaps, but they didn't go anywhere and you saw nothing. So what did you get out of that? Like now you're saying that just the exercise of doing it, just like getting into the pads and getting ready for game day is somehow worth the injury risk that you expose Cam Newton in the offense. To. I mean, the other argument, though, is you're, aren't you just as susceptible to injuries in practice, especially non-contact injuries? I mean, maybe, but you it's not either or. You're not practice or preseason you're at the moment you're doing both so don't do yeah, one but of them presumably if you are if you're not playing your starters in the preseason presumably you want them to have x number of reps during that that's the thing we don't see right so like last year when we didn't have any preseason action we have no idea how the rep count went but also preseason i mean practice reps with the way the cba currently is are dramatically different from game Full violence. Yeah, but we've also t- nobody we've is about- hitting J.K. Dobbins the way he got hit in that game in practice. True. I mean, we. I'm just saying we've we've talked a lot about those joint practices and, and yeah. how important those. But they're are controlled. And- they're better controlled environments. It's not the yeah. same level of full hitting. Like J.K. Dobbins got sandwiched with a guy throwing his shoulder into his knee. That that doesn't happen in in practice reps. So which anymore. of your start? What about offensive linemen who do need reps? And you know, so I'm I'm just looking at our grades. Kevin Dotson for the Steelers, 120 snaps this year. A guy that is was kind of battling for a starting job, 
and, and you know graded really well again if you want those grades pff.com get your kickoff 30 30 percent off kevin dotson would you play him a guy that's projected to start but you know kind of had to earn it well offensive line is tricky because you don't have that many players um so it's it's difficult to rest an entire starting five and they need to learn preseason and everything yeah like there are positions where you're going to be forced into playing some players there are also certain players that could use a preseason but again it's like play them the whole time or don't 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 like don't put them out there for four snaps and bring them in go right job done that's everything you're going to get out of this game like if you have a guy who you're a guy like kevin dotson who played well last season very limited snaps and you don't know 100 percent how good he is or you're not like he could use experience generally so play him all preseason all right other other things we've learned this preseason all five starting quarterbacks could be good all the, the first five first rounders yeah like i don't know if people are talking about this enough like we're we're sort of focusing in on the individuals right like each one of these guys looks good or what their situation is when is it time to start talking about how good this draft class could be as when a they group? play in the regular season first. is it though yeah is it yes i think it might be now um, Let's do it now then. How well, good is this group going to be? I was telling you yesterday that at one point in the pre-draft process, <clears throat> Adam Schefter tweeted that quarterbacks are going to go five. Five of them are going to go in the first six picks. And it, it obviously didn't end up going that way. Two of them slid to one degree or other. But, like, maybe it should have. Like, we're looking at these guys, and for, for a long time, because of the way the reports, the, the 49ers trade and the reports that they were interested in Mac Jones – the draft process became about tearing down Mac Jones and how he didn't belong in that top conversation and why he wasn't worth the number three overall pick. He looks like the best quarterback of the group right now. Now, what if all five of those guys are going to end up being good? Justin Fields is the one that I've had the most concerns with sort of all the way through, and I still liked Justin Fields from start to finish. And even watching him play, it's like, all right, the negative stuff is still there, but he might just be freaky enough that it doesn't matter. Like, he's going to work anyway. Like with the accuracy yeah. and the size and the athleticism, and it might not always be conventional or orthodox or the way you want to see it, but if the dude is able to like run around past the defensive end and then just fire a ball into a, a closing window 30 yards away for a touchdown, who cares? He did. I mean, Justin Fields did have one of the throws of the preseason, did it the other night. I mean, his his game his game was okay up until that point, and I think that's what Fields brings. I'm a, I'm a little surprised that he's doing so much outside the pocket because I do think he likes to win. But I think a big pocket. part of that is that line is just terrible. Like, he's he almost has to at this point. It hasn't been great. Um, but to your point, we talked about how long he's holding on to the ball, like even a second longer than even some of the longest yeah. holding, you know, longest uh, guys in the, in the league. So it, it is going to look different. Um, but his outside-the-pocket playmaking and speed, and, and we know the arm talent is there with Justin Fields. They're all just really intriguing. Trevor Lawrence, now he played the backups for the Cowboys yesterday. But even in previous games, again, there was at least one throw per yeah. game leading up to yesterday where it was like, wow, comeback route in his, in his first game, touch throw uh, over a linebacker, rolling to his left in the second game. And then yesterday put it all together in an incredible effort. So, you know, like, Lawrence is looking as advertised as well. Right. Lawrence hasn't been great generally over preseason, but he's the one that you're coming into the, the process with the highest degree of just money in the bank, right? Just yeah. uh, resume, you know, career track record. It's like, all right, we're pretty sure Trevor Lawrence is amazing. And if you see, that's one where I, there is something like, 
everything gets sort of criticized in terms of bias for like reinforcing your priors. That's what preseason is, right? Of course. It's just about backing up your prior take or dismissing it if it doesn't fit your prior take. But there's something to the idea that like sometimes your prior take is the thing that you should be, it is the foundation piece you should be building things around. And, you know, when the data supports it, you should probably lean that way. And Trevor Lawrence is a good example, right? We've seen so much evidence that Trevor Lawrence is amazing so far that it only makes sense to like take the pieces that fit with that from preseason, add them into the picture and kind of discard the stuff that didn't. Uh, particularly when you can explain the stuff that didn't as, hey, half of his offensive line didn't start in the key game where he was looking sort of flustered and under pressure a little bit. So I, I think it does make sense to kind of reinforce your priors with what we've seen so far with Trevor Lawrence. But that's like Trevor Lawrence hasn't played great. Trey Lance has made more mistakes than you would have expected, but he's also suffered from an insane amount of drops, and the talent is obvious. Like, the arm looks insane. He's made some really big plays. I, I, showed... really, I, I really wonder if the ball is just getting on Niners receivers so hot from Lance. I cannot believe how live his arm is. And, and I don't know if I'm being blinded by the fact that he also does throw everything 100 miles an hour. Yeah. It is like Baker. I mean, Baker had a point last year in those first six weeks or whenever when he was struggling, he would not put touch on anything. And Baker still struggles with that at times. Not that they don't have it. Not, a, not that it's not in their bag. It's just sometimes it's just it's coming in too hot. Like Lance's pass on the goal line, everybody's like, oh, that's catchable, that's catchable. Like, yeah, on instant replay, it hit his hands, but it was like it's, a, it's like an eight-yard pass that is coming in 70 miles an hour, whatever it was. I, I do wonder how much you go from Garoppolo to Lance. Garoppolo's got an okay NFL mm. arm. Lance is – the ball is flying out of his hand. I do wonder how much that's affecting those drops as I well. I do think there's something not – I don't necessarily buy into the idea that if a guy fires it like a million miles an hour the whole time, that's automatically harder to catch. Um, but I do think there's something to if you're, – if you're a receiver playing in practice and your rep can alternate between a guy with a cannon and a guy that doesn't. It looks different, yeah. Not just looks different, but it's like it feels different. It's right. coming at you different. Like that, I think, can create drops. Way more than like if I'm only catching from the dude with the howitzer, you automatically adjust, right? That's just part of what you're dealing with. But if, you're, if it alternates and sometimes the howitzer is coming at you and sometimes, you know, Jake Fromm's pass is coming your way. Like the Bills receivers having to alternate from – Josh Allen to Jake Fromm, that's ridiculous. Not much different. I mean, not can't get much more different. Right. I can't even imagine how different the ball – like if you're running the same route two times in a row in a drill and those are the two passes coming your way, it's like it's a completely different timing. I'll save the baseball analogy. Good, thank God. But it's similar in baseball. Of course it is, yeah. When you have a slow pitcher and a fast – So I'm not saying – As a hitter, it screws up the time. I I don't necessarily think that just – the velocity that he's putting on the ball is causing that, but I think there might be an there might be something to the idea that going from Garoppolo to Trey Lance and back creates that. So I think I think Trevor Lawrence has has been as advertised. Zach Wilson, we've talked about, he didn't play at all this weekend. Was just crisp and accurate, and you know he made plays all over the place. Uh, Trey Lance, who we just mentioned, the Niners rolling out the two QB system yesterday. We'll talk about that later. I do want to talk about the two QB system legitimately, but Trey Lance, what we just discussed, rushing ability. He showed all the throws in the bag. Probably got to be a little bit more consistent. Stop trying to throw the ball through defenders. He's been the 
most volatile of the rookies. Um, Justin Fields probably the second most volatile of the rookies just because um, he's had some spectacular plays, took that sack and against Buffalo. and You made a great point yesterday, though, that he might have the worst situation of any of them. And, and that's part of it as well, right? We, always, we said on draft day, right, Trey Lance has the best situation, Kyle Shanahan and the Niners. Um, but, yeah, Fields with the offensive line, many question marks about there about that. And then it's like Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney's a good complimentary receiver. It's just it's an okay group of playmakers with a star in and, Allen Robinson. And to be fair, he hasn't like they haven't really let him loose with the with the good group. True. You know what I mean? Like it's the situation that that's possible in Chicago, he hasn't had to play with yet. So we haven't really seen how good that situation is. The offensive line does look like a concern, whether it's the starters or the backups. But I think the receiving group would certainly get better if Fields got the chance with the ones that he hasn't had yet. But it is interesting that, like, none of these situations are terrible, which is, again, a help. Like, sometimes if you're talking about a really good draft class of quarterbacks, one or two of them are going to a train wreck of a situation, and you're like, those guys don't have a shot to be good year one because everything around them is a mess. You look at this group, there's nobody there that shouldn't be able to be good because of the situation around them. Jacksonville – All right, it's debatable given what we've seen so far and the relative lack of the exciting things that were promised so far. The Jets actually seem to have a pretty good situation all of a sudden. Um, Chicago might be the worst, but as we say, at least the receivers get better uh, when he plays with the ones. San Francisco is a great situation. The Patriots is a great situation. Like, none of these guys are going to be automatically prohibited from being good early because of what's around them i'm watching the jaguars play in trevor lawrence and i'm seeing how much the tight end looks like they could be involved and trevor lawrence does a nice job throwing to the middle of the field and, and using the tight end you know from what i've seen in the jags I, I know any. they just released tim tebow yeah but they have one of the worst tight end rooms in the nfl uh there are it, like which, uh, james o'shaughnessy who was targeted a few times yesterday i mean he's he's an okay backup tight end which only goes to highlight like just <laughs> Just how terrible a tight end Tim Tebow was. Right, as, as expected, a 33-year-old in a new position. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at you know guys like Zach Ertz, who could be available, Hayden Hurst, who's backing up Kyle Pitts in Atlanta, O.J. Howard, who could be out and about and available yeah. for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I would love one of those guys. Any of those guys, I think, upgrade the Jaguars at tight end. I mean, they, it would be a really nice compliment to everything else they have. Whether O.J. Howard is in danger of getting cut or whether – like Tampa Bay is just a team to call because they have so many. The Jags should definitely be like, definitely be paying attention to Tampa Bay's tight end roster and we'll see do that. Get we'll do that later guys. as well. We'll do that later. I want to go through the potential players that are available, but yeah, I had to get that in there. Uh, before we get into the rest of the rookie quarterback discussion, got to give a shout out to our friends over at Fantrax. Fantrax is free. Fantasy Football League Manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature rich platform in the entire industry. And PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They feature multi-team trades, bonus points for touchdowns of different yardage. And if you're coming from another site, it's not a problem. Fantrax can import any of your leagues completely free. So create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com PFF. Get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league plus $6,000. It's promo code PFF at Fantrax.com PFF. Um, just to wrap it up on the QB discussion, um, we discussed Fields. And as we said, Mac Jones, we got into the Mac Jones-Cam Newton discussion in depth uh, on the PFF Daily this morning. 
Um, I still want to give away PFF Edge subscriptions. So if you are not subscribed to the PFF NFL Daily, pause right now, go subscribe, or just get on your phone. Go click subscribe. Send us a screenshot that you're subscribed to both the Daily and this, the NFL podcast, and we'll give away a free PFF Edge subscription uh, once I get uh, 25 more entries. 25? 25 more entries. That should be easy, right? We've already had thousands out of our millions of listeners. Um, but subscribe to the daily and go um, listen to the Mac Jones Cam Newton debate. But Mac Jones looked really good. So all he five did. have legitimately looked yeah, really good. Yeah, and look, we keep sort of saying that hey, the odds are one or two of these guys busts because that's just the way the NFL is. The draft draft classes never have that kind of strike rate, and the odds still remain that way. We've only seen preseason, right? The odds are some of these guys are going to get to the regular season, things are going to change, and all of a sudden one or two of them don't look as good. But just for a second. Imagine a world where that isn't the case and the level that these guys look, look like they're capable of attaining is where they're going to hit. If all five of these guys actually hit, this becomes the best draft class of quarterbacks in decades. Like since that 83, 80, which year was it? The Marino, Kelly, like that class. I, I just want to bring some perspective to the table here. Uh, in 2018, there were the five rookie first-round quarterbacks. Now, what was perception? That's the Baker Mayfield, Josh yeah. Allen, Lamar class. Baker had an 81.4 PFF grade. I think he was he was impressive in the preseason. He mm-hmm. showed he was he was enough to get excited about in the preseason. Sam Darnold had the second best grade out of that group as a with a 74.8 as a rookie in preseason as a rookie. So I'm just trying to compare it to this group of quarterbacks as rookies. Darnold, remember he started his first ever throw as a pick six against the Lions, and then he was actually really pretty good after that. He only averaged 5.4 yards per attempt, but the grade wasn't bad. Josh Allen had a 65 grade, which actually was a precursor to his first two regular seasons where he had 65 grades uh, in each of those years. Lamar Jackson had a 60 grade and only a 52 passing grade. Even the stats weren't great. 77 passer rating, six yards per attempt. He did show the rushing ability, though. Of course, and then Josh Rosen had a 46 grade. Mm. Um, so coming out of that, of those, we had those five first round quarterbacks. We clearly weren't talking up Josh Rosen at the time, and then he gets into the regular season, and it was it was bad all the way through. Bad situation in Arizona. Lamar Jackson showed off some of what he would eventually become, but it was like okay, still needs a lot of polish as a passer. Josh Allen still. You, you, I remember he had this cover two shot. It's like oh, there's the arm, but he still needed polish as a passer. And it was Baker and Darnold that I think probably, and they were the first two off the board, they, they felt the best coming out of there. But it was those two, you saw, you saw the same stuff from Allen and Lamar, and you didn't feel great about Josh Rosen. It's a different feeling. Hmm. Um, and then ultimately we saw Baker, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson are the three legitimate starters out of that group. Sam Darnold still has a sh- shot this year, and, and Josh Rosen's been with like 12 teams. But that's like, that is the best quarterback class in terms of a group of however many in the first round for a long time that 2018 class right and even that class pre-draft there was a lot of people talking up baker mayfield of which we were driving the bandwagon so it's difficult to kind of separate yourself in terms of where everybody else was there were a lot of people saying darnold was the number one pick the people that love josh allen loved him enough to be saying he was in that top conversation as well sure not as many people pushing uh, Rosen for that group and then there were some like 
Lamar stands, but generally the consensus was he was a lower prospect than the rest. Um, so I don't like I don't think there was a point in time where everybody was saying, "Hey, five quarterbacks could go in the first six picks," right? So even pre-draft, that class was not quite where this one is in terms of hype. So again, like if that's the best since that ridiculous Marino class, I'm just saying if this group pans out the way they are, we are talking about a truly generational group of players like a generational in the in the real sense of the word as opposed to the hyperbole sense it gets used every two minutes like even beyond generational what 83 was that that draft class i think to so be generational talking, though, they like, need to be really good so are, are these guys just going to be capable starters or do you think they're all going to be but if five of them are just like capable starters that puts it in that category true but i also wonder how that meshes with the league which I'm, i hate repeating myself a thousand times here but the league which has a plethora of capable starters and they're just they're filling in the re- you know the teams that don't have one and they're filling in spots but i kind of think teams. i kind of think that just by the law of averages like if five of them become capable starters at least one of them's going to be really good no i agree so what i'm what i'm interested in is how many of these guys fill in that hypothetical top eight yeah. quarterbacks that does that does feel like it gives you that how many advantage. of them are above the uh, the matt ryan inflection yes point? who are above the matt ryan inflection point yeah. you want to make a prediction on that how many or yeah. who both uh one is above because trevor no trevor's not going to be above the matt ryan inflection point no i'm not saying immediately i'm saying like within three yeah, years no Trevor Lawrence is not going to be a top eight quarterback in the NFL. He's not going to be above the Matt Ryan inflection point. Oh, wow. You're That's crazy. my prediction. I think uh, there's two of them. Zach Wilson will. Yeah. Uh, Mac Jones will. You're, team, you're all Mac Jones. You're team Mac I'm, Jones. I'm bought in. I have reassessed. I went back and I, I, I wrote a piece at some point in the pre-draft process when everybody was tearing him down during the, during the like, oh, he's not worth number three overall stuff. And I was like, basically looked at, look, obviously he's no kind of athletic, uh, no kind of outside of the pocket athletic ability, right? But is what he's good at good enough to ignore all that and say he can still be really good? And in the article, I came to the conclusion that, yeah, I think he is, but would I be willing to bet three first round picks on it, which is essentially what the 49ers would be doing if they drafted him number three? And I was like, no. So I think my point essentially was that I think he's worth number three overall, but not if you've had to come from number 12 to do that. You know what I mean? If you were already picking number three, I would take the pick and spend it on Mac Jones and be confident enough that he's good enough at the stuff that he's amazing at that it's worth it. If I've come from number 12 and I've thrown three first round picks at this, I'm not that confident. I just, I'm not, I don't buy into it enough. But when you look at, this was there like this was all in evidence in his tape that he isn't just like he isn't just this product of an Alabama offense where he just goes in there it's idiot proof he doesn't have to do anything all he has to do is like throw the ball to a wide open guy every play obviously that helped and that was part of it but his ability to command that offense and to correctly diagnose what he was looking at and to put the ball where it needed to go quickly to the right target every single play was was the best of anybody in this draft class, including Trevor Lawrence, including Zach. Will- like it was amazing, and that is still there. And even when he's playing with the twos and under more duress and throwing to guys that aren't as good, it's still obvious. 
I think the one thing to remember there in the Trey Lance Mac Jones debate, and this is why it, it, it's a little bit like the Panay Sewell Jamar Chase thing, for whatever that's worth, where it mm. felt like there was no wrong answer, right? Uh, Mac Jones is about to become 23 years old, and Trey Lance is, is only 21. I mean, there is a difference in those two years where Trey Lance has shown all of these skills and these tools. And it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to progress the same rate and all that stuff. But there is something intriguing about Trey Lance being a little bit more moldable, of course, having the athletic ability, of course, having the incredible arm strength. Um, and I, I use the, you know, flashed enough accuracy. Accuracy is more of a binary, like yes or no. But just like Lamar, like Lamar had special throws on tape. He just also missed a lot, too. Well, Trey Lance is similar. He's cam right now in terms of accuracy. It's like yeah. if you want to pull up a highlight reel of him putting pinpoint passes on guys, it looks incredible. But the question is, where is that going to land in terms of frequency? Can you do that every single play? Right. Or are you going to do that every now and again, and then you're going to have a bunch of misses in between? Right now, he's on that cam spectrum of, like, overall, your accuracy isn't great, but when you nail it, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so I mean, I think there's a fair enough argument for both. Like, Trey Lance is only 21, and, I, and again, Sam Darnold came out at 21. It doesn't always mean you're just going to progress. His ceiling is still incredible, His and he's ceiling. in a great offense. And we saw yesterday that, hey, when Shanahan delves into the, the bag of tricks, it, it's fun. Like, that, the idea that we've been talking about, you know, when they drafted him, that, hey, Shan, what Shanahan is going to be able to create using Trey Lance within this offense is going to be indefensible it's going to be impossible to stop that we saw some of that for the first time yesterday so I still think Trey Lance is in a fantastic situation and his ceiling is insane but I'm less confident that he'll attain it than I am that Mac Jones will attain his yeah I just it's okay to have patience it's okay to uh no, to have patience with not Trey today's Lance. world Steve I, I think Wilson I think Lawrence and Wilson get into that top eight conversation Lawrence and Wilson Trevor Lawrence Zach Wilson the top two picks yeah but, man, I could see any of them doing it. Yeah. I really can. I could see the path for, I don't, for all of them. Yeah, none, none of the five I would rule out in terms of having that ability. Here's another way of looking at it. I would say Carson Wentz. So you have Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott. I think Dak has certainly become, in that 2016 class, Dak has become the best of that group. Yeah. That has not been clearly defined until probably the last year, though. Yep. Right? And I, I famously go back and I say, the first year, Carson Wentz had the highest uh, – Dak had the highest grade their first year. Then it was Goff. I'm sorry, then it was Wentz. Wentz. Then it was Goff. Yeah. Uh, 2019 was Dak. And then 2020 was Dak before he got hurt. Right? So right. it really it rotated, right? Yeah. This class could have a lot of similarities. Um, Which is also the way it's been with the 2018 group. And, and, Baker, I, and Lamar, I said coming out in 2018, Josh I was Allen. like, if you gave me 10 years, I would predict Baker to be the highest graded guy in eight of them. Right. Um, so I might have been a little extreme there. But well, you just need a run of seven straight. Yeah, he's, he's, he's still kind of got it in play. But yeah, we've had Baker as the highest graded. We've had Lamar and we've had Josh Allen. Right. So it, it's not this it, other than Mahomes in 2017. It's not really this linear ranking of quarterbacks. But my point on Wentz and Goff and in Dak, they rotated, but they all they were, they were all top 15 quarterbacks, I think, for the majority of their career, depending on where the league is. These five first-rounders could all land in that top 15. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just incredibly impressed. It's only preseason, right? So we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But I'm incredibly impressed by this group as a whole. There are, none of the five do you look at through preseason and are, are concerned about and think, oh, 
who's this guy is sort of headed towards an uncomfortable place. And all five of them you look at and you say, any of these five could be above that Matt Ryan inflection point for their careers. This could be a truly special group of quarterbacks, which is why it's so interesting that like pre-draft process was spent tearing down at least one of them. If I tweeted, good morning, PFF, just going head to head, good morning, football. Oh, as opposed to good morning, comma, at PFF. Good morning, PFF. This, thought you were going to wish the main. This could be the name of our Monday morning show. Yeah, I Live. thought you were wishing the main account a good morning. No, I wasn't going to speak to them directly. Okay. Do you, uh, with, with Nate Burleson moving on from good morning, football, do you think we could? You think you could get in there? No, no, no. I've, oh. I've already been on the show, Sam. Yeah. I've already been on the well, show. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's a, a natural, natural segue. They're... Um, there's like too much acting involved in that. They do a lot of, you know, yeah. segments where they dress up. But that's act. what Kyle's there for. You could be the straight guy. The the no acting? Just yeah, yeah. No emotion guy? Right. Deadpan. I don't think people like that. No? I don't think people. I think it'd be worth putting you on there just to get the visual of you next to Kay all the time. True. I mean, she's like. I mean, I'm all for that, generally, as a concept. She's a lot shorter than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm just saying, I think we can compete with them in a, from a, in a ratings war. Okay. You know, Monday, on, just on Mondays. On Mondays. We can't, we can't do every no, day. Oh, God, no. But just Monday morning. That's at, a lot uh, of early mornings. At 7 a.m. Any other things you learned in um, the preseason? Well, so I'm curious. We need to talk about Gardner Minshew. Um, Gardner Minshew gets traded for basically a bag of peanuts to the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm very fascinated by the fact that half the league was not more interested in Minshew than that. It's what is it? A conditional sixth or something insane that they traded for him? How Dallas? Dallas is about to roll into the season with Dak Prescott coming off, coming off an injury and potentially going through more injuries. Right? Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew on the show last night on NFL Network was saying that hey, one year I w- I being MJD as opposed to me. I am speaking I in the voice of MJD. I understand. Now. He was quote. saying that, look, one year I was rehabbing all offseason from a foot injury, and it meant that I couldn't do like my usual offseason workout routine and, and train the way I normally do. And that year was just a nightmare for injuries because everything was, was less than where it should be, and you were compensating from one thing on the rehab. And just like I had a whole sequence of stuff that fell apart that year. Bad year, terrible. And his speculation was that that's what we're dealing with with Dak right now. He's just spent the last, you know, year rehabbing his ankle, and now you're seeing his shoulder start to tweak and various things that are not where they should be because of all the rehab he's been doing on his ankle. And you're just going to spend like a year suffering through these minor niggles, and that's going to like keep him from being the, the player that he's supposed to be. Whether or not that's true, you are looking at a player now that's had one major injury, is dealing with something else, and you should, at the very minimum, be countenancing what his backup looks like. And right now, his backup is a three-way competition between Garrett Gilbert, who, God, I love the guy, but look, it's not gone well for Garrett since he's come back into the NFL, uh, Cooper Rush, and Ben DiNucci. And even though it's been preseason and there's been no reason not to have him on the roster, I still am amazed that that guy has hung on to a roster given what he's done in the NFL so far. How is Dallas not willing to throw a fifth-round pick at the Jags for Minshew. How do you know they're not? Well, they didn't. I mean, they may have. But they didn't. He went to Philly for less than that. Then less than a sixth? I said, why, if he went for a sixth, throw a regular a conditional sixth, sixth throw, throw a real why sixth. was Dallas not willing to go 
to a conditional five. No, it's a good question. I mean, I think Dallas should be looking at somebody like Nick Foles or something. At, but like, the Bears, there's but. half the league is in this situation, right? Dallas, Minnesota, right now has no viable backup outside of Kirk Cousins. Like, there are a lot of teams for whom Gardner Minshew becomes a clear upgrade at backup quarterback, and evidently it didn't cost much to make that happen. I'm torn on Minshew as a player because I'm. We've been on here before. I've been very impressed with what he did. Obviously, as a sixth round pick. But what he did, and in a situation, right? I mean, trying to separate your quarterback from the situation is important. And he put up numbers. He put up good, solid numbers. He graded pretty well, 70 and 67. Um, I went back. I was trying to think. Actually, Mike Glennon's first two years are similar. The grades are a little bit lower, 64 and 66 for Mike Glennon. But you're talking about a third-round pick in Glennon. Um, the difference is this perceived upside, probably. I think people still think Mike Glennon has a great arm because he's 6'6", <laughs> 225. He's got an okay and He's got a pretty good arm, right? Just be, like, People still think Brock Osweiler has a good arm. He has a below-average yeah. NFL arm, velocity-wise, even though he's 6'7". So Mike Glennon isn't a toolsy guy. Uh, Gardner Minshew isn't a toolsy guy. But both guys produced in just, you know, okay situations, which is intriguing to me. And, and so I think... The, the floor for Minshew is high-end backup. I mean, yeah. like Case Keenum plus right. high-end backup. But when you put him, I'd be intrigued by him in a good situation. Minshew's not perfect, right? He's got – he's almost one-to-one big-time throws to turnover-worthy plays and all that stuff. But again, not the best receiving core in the world, not the best offensive line in the world. Like, I want that on my team. Like, Jacksonville could use a backup quarterback. Yes. I know C.J. Beathard just tore it up this preseason, right. and he's got experience. And Beathard's an okay backup. He's fine. But I also don't think the Jags needed to just yeah. push Minshew out the door well, either. particularly given his contract. Like, it's not like he's – you aren't saddled with this giant contract of your previous starting quarterback. Like he Wait, was, at worst, hold on to him for a couple of years. Right, he was a bargain anyway. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of get it from Jacksonville's point of view of, hey, look, clean start, break, let's make sure the rookie isn't looking over his shoulder for whatever that's worth. Um, okay, fine. Just to clarify, the deal is a conditional six-round pick – that can be upgraded to a fifth round. I think it was something like if he plays fifty percent or something, but only in like three games or something. Like he only has to have like three gotcha. starts of essentially three starts. Um, but anyway, the point is like maximum this deal can go to is a fifth round pick. There are half a dozen teams in the NFL that should have been willing to throw a fifth round pick at Jacksonville for Minshew, even if all you're thinking about is your backup quarterback situation. And, and I agree that hey, look. Minshew's floor is decent backup. His ceiling, I mean, it could be marginal starter still. Like, he might still be an okay starter if the situation is good enough. Now, that's not necessarily something you're going targeting, you know, as a team. But having that as a contingency is pretty good. Like, Gardner Minshew has, if he put together a Jimmy Garoppolo type of season, in the right situation, with a good supporting cast, right. from, like, and, what, and here's what that is. Garoppolo graded in the high 70s in 2018 number 13 in the nfl and they they go to a super bowl is gardner Minshew capable yeah like of that what would Minshew look like in a kyle shanahan offense if it was with, with the talent around him being good it, it, what he needs to improve upon is he tries to play hero ball too much he sure. tries to do a little bit too much outside of structure a lot of his turnover worthy plays have been fumbles and i think that's the most intriguing thing to me is i i'm not saying hey, oh that's a good thing you're fumbling i feel like that's easier to correct yes then say Jordan Love. I, I mean, I guess this is kind of easy to correct. You. Jordan Love has some of the ugliest turnover-worthy plays. <laughs> Just stop throwing the ball in double coverage off your Jordan back Love foot. keeps throwing back foot, you know, 
prayers into double coverage yeah. that are just ridiculous. I do feel like that's like Jordan. Just don't do that. You I know, don't just, think that's fixable. I don't. I don't think that that is. If you, but that's if, like in your mind's playing, eye. That's not. To me, there's a difference between reading coverage. Jordan loves not misreading coverage here. Gardner Minshew's not misreading coverage. He's just something innate in yeah, him but, is saying, I got to make a play here. But if in your mind's eye during the play, you look up and you think that's on, that's a shot I can take. I can, I can I get it that. there. <laughs> right. If you're like looking at that and you're going, I can get it there. And you repeatedly start taking those. I don't think you can dial that. I don't think you can change that. That's like in you a guy's brain and it's done. There's another guy who used to do that. You know how he fixed it? LASIK. Yeah. Maybe maybe Minshew. Maybe Love needs LASIK. Maybe. Minshew, I don't know, because he just is dancing around the pocket and all that stuff. Let's talk, let's talk Jameis then. LASIK fixed him. I mean, that's, that's what we learned from preseason? Yeah. Okay. Do we think that's actually true, or do we just get like 30 snaps of high-end Jameis? No. I will say, his deep – so Lewis Riddick sometimes gets, you know, sees camp and all that stuff, and – he thinks the Saints' deep passing game is going to be excellent, um, which three weeks ago sounded crazy on paper. So well, what I yeah. first off, what I learned in the preseason is I think Marquez Callaway is legit. Yes, I thought he was a good maybe two slash three potentially. He might be a legitimate one. And when Michael Thomas does come back, I feel really good about those guys. So if you guys just listened to our NFC South preview a few weeks ago, and I'm trashing the Saints, change everything. Before, yeah, I have. I have turned around a little bit, and I think they at least have Callaway. And that pushes the other guys down from an expectation mm. standpoint. Trey Quan and Devonta Harris. Um, mentioned Jawan Johnson a few times on this show, converting to tight end, who could be an intriguing option. So I think I feel better about that group. I, I don't know if Jameis is fixed, but he's never he's been an intermediate threat. He's been that 10 to 19 range, up to 25, you know, deep outs and posts and all that stuff. He was great deep ball a couple times but that's the and that's a depth perception thing so i don't know stop maybe, maybe. depth perception thing i'm saying that's what that is there's something there's like the visual of where players are and getting it there and look, look james i've seen james play incredible football yeah incredible football right for how long 2013 yeah and for how long a season uh eight games is his redshirt freshman season was the best i've ever seen james play right that's like his high end right now for this preseason, we are dealing with 23 dropbacks of Jameis. Yeah. And we're, we're proclaiming him fixed because he had LASIK. And then he had LASIK and what? then 23, 23 Nobody's dropbacks. Nobody's claiming him fixed. People are genuinely claiming him fixed because of the LASIK. It's like, oh, he couldn't see when he was throwing 30 interceptions. That's why we're here to just, to just unpack the, the narratives Look, here. I, I think that Callaway emerging as a true star receiver. And it wasn't just like... Those two deep touchdowns were incredible plays from Callaway, not just because he got open deep and made the catch, because of how he was doing it. Like, he fought off contact at the catch point both times, hauled it in. But he was also catching stuff underneath as well. Like, he looks like a legit number one receiver that can get open at all levels of the defense and make plays. That, I think, changes the dynamic of who should be at quarterback. If you didn't have any wide receivers, I think there's something to the idea that you put Taysom Hill in and pivot completely what kind of offense you're going to run. Run heavy, manufacture open targets as opposed to relying on them being open in the first place. If you actually have a receiver that can get open deep, Jameis is the guy with the proven deep ball. Like Taysom Hill still hasn't shown yet that he can actually deliver that pass on time, 40 yards downfield, as opposed to underthrown and waiting on it. Right. If that is an option, then suddenly I think, yeah, 
Jameis Winston becomes the guy you put in there. But the idea that he had LASIK and then 23 dropbacks at a 90-plus grade and now he's fixed is just not understanding sample sizes and variants. Like, we're dealing with one of the most volatile quarterbacks in the NFL. There are probably a dozen stretches in a, of his career where he has had 23 dropbacks of a 90-plus PFF grade, and then it always comes down the other side again. Thank you for now the question bringing us back down to earth. Well, now the question becomes, does he come back down to earth, or, do, or is Sean Payton capable of, like, eliminating those bad plays? I'm, I'm more of the mind or when, I saw, when I saw – it's not that Jameis has become a 90-plus quarterback. It's just that I saw the Sean Payton offense look like Sean Payton's offense in, in, in limited time, you know, seam route here and there. Forget the deep ball stuff. I mean, those are, the, those are the highlight real plays. It looked crisp. It looked effective. It looks like Jameis gives them the best opportunity, and I'm intrigued by that. And I'm more intrigued by Callaway, who was fine. He was solid last year as an undrafted rookie, 68 receiving grade, um, was only used – average depth of target was only about eight – so he was used in more of a possession role uh, in, in an offense that did not throw the ball down the field a lot. So at the very least, when you have a Jameis and you have a guy like Callaway who's really good at the catch point, he's going to have a ton of opportunities. And again, it's, vol- it's Jameis's volatility that's almost the most intriguing thing. It's what the high end could bring in his aggressiveness. And I just I really can't wait to see that mesh with Sean Payton. The other and I'm, thing- just, I'm a little bit more confident in it now in the preseason after than I was in the offseason yeah look I don't think that Jameis is fixed um but the other intriguing part about all this is Jameis is definitely a worse quarterback than Drew Brees was even at the end but the fact that Jameis has that deep ball and will threaten the intermediate level and will essentially uh will stress a defense at all levels on any given play is something that the Saints haven't had for the last year and a half of Drew Brees. Right. Whatever the reason, whether it was just Drew Brees getting old, whether it was 11 broken ribs and everything else he was battling through last year, Drew Brees simply was not threatening various levels of the defense on any given play last year at all. Like, you didn't need to worry about it. If you were playing backside cover three, switch off, you're done. Drew Brees isn't getting it over here. Right. Like, it doesn't matter what happens in the play. I, there were noticeably open passes that Brees was passing. Exactly, because he just couldn't get the ball there. And that's fine because he was still good. Like, he still understood where to go with the ball. He was still accurate enough, even if the ball would die before it got there. Um, the fact that Jameis puts those areas of the field back in play again is an important element to this whole thing. Like, he will be worse. He will make more mistakes but he will also change what a defense has to concern itself with every single snap. And that, I think, is, is an important and like under-discussed element of J- uh, Jameis Winston succeeding Drew Brees. Here's the thing with um, the, the way I described Baker Mayfield last year. When he was playing with Freddie Kitchens, there weren't a lot of gimme throws in the 2019 offense. It was intriguing in his, as a rookie. It was like, well, Freddie Kitchens, boy genius, you know, is an offensive coordinator. 19 didn't feel that way. It felt like everything was on Baker and he offensive line was bad. Last year when Stefanski came in, I said, there's going to be enough throws where it's like an easy rollout, some screens and all that stuff, take something off Baker's plate. Can you do that with Jameis? Because Peyton can do that. Because Drew Brees threw to his running backs as much as any quarterback in the NFL. And that doesn't mean you're just dinking. And, I mean, Brees was on the lower end of average depth of target, but there was a lot of checkdowns when necessary. There was Five a screen eight, game. Or 6.6 6 yards for Last Drew year was very 
dink and dunk for anybody. But my point is the running backs are a big part of that offense. Can you get Jameis to have that balance? How do you balance that? And, and so if, again, if he drops back 35 times, if 10 to 15 of those are schemed up, right? If they're screens, if they're a couple rollouts here and there, if it's, um, you know, just getting to the check down at the right time. And then the other 15 or 20, it's Jameis, it's third and long, go be that guy. Read it out, get to where you need to go. Like, he's capable of doing that, but you just got to take some, some of those reads off his plate. Because if you make Jameis make 40 good decisions over and over and over again, history showed us two to four of them are going to be bad ones, and that's way more than what they're used to. Yeah. And that's where it gets dangerous. Right, I, but I, I'm just intrigued by the balance in terms of even if he stays as prone to bad mistakes as he's always been. Now, this is a guy with a career turnover-worthy play rate of 4.8%, which is huge. If you just drop that into a season, it would be bottom five, bottom yeah. six. It's yeah. a massive figure. Like, it's, it's double what a quarterback should be approaching. Like, the best quarterbacks in the NFL last season were under 2%. So to be 4.8 for your career is just massive. But even if he stays there, again, like the fact that you are putting the, the entire field back in play every single snap with Sean Payton at the helm exploiting that, I think is a really under-talked-about under part of this whole dynamic. Then if you can move that percentage a little bit, not eliminate it, not put him at the top end, but again, just cut it down and put him in the middle somewhere. Get it to 3.5%, like, which is – Still not good, but it's a massive difference between 4.8 and that. While opening up the parts of the field that you, as yes. you say, have not have not been there. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the Saints. I, we've come full circle on all the teams that were overrated months ago. The Saints and the really Steelers have. and the whole thing. Uh, the NFL's back, as we know. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for week one. You bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season, and guess what you get? $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard it right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of just $1 or more on any week one game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same-game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. How difficult is it for Indiana to just roll with 1-800-GAMBLER as their hotline. Maybe somebody claimed it. You know, you get like a website domain squatters. You think that's what happened in Indiana? Maybe somebody grabbed the phone number. Should we be doing that? Should we grab 1-800-GAMBLER across all the different For Ohio, regions? They're opening up at some point, right? We grab it. You assume every state's going to open up at some point. We've got to grab 1-800-GAMBLER. Everywhere. So what's going to happen when there's 50 states and there's 35 different hotlines? I have to read all of those? I, I, I don't know. Go to DraftKings.com. Take advantage of that. That was going to be my last preseason takeaway. I'm a believer in the Steelers now all of a sudden. Oh, yeah? I don't know. I mean, I just I think. Define believer. It was easy to think that the Steelers were going to be a train wreck this year, right? And, and I even made the point when we were saying that they were going to be a train wreck. <laughs> the offensive line looks bad. They drafted a running back in the first round. Big Ben's coming off his worst season of his career but that was always in like throw that, for throw not statistics. Yeah, yeah that was always hyperbole though that like they're going to be bad the point was just they're not going to be contending 
was always my point. It's like it's not that Steel Pittsburgh was never winning four games and like picking right, in the top right. ten. It's that in the division that now features Super Bowl contender Cleveland, perennial Super Bowl contender Baltimore, Pittsburgh probably is not in that group. They are going to win, you know, seven to nine games and be somewhere out of the playoff picture in the last couple of weeks. All of a sudden, they might make that like a three-way competition for the top of that division and fireworks. I guess the point I would make is even when we were saying all those bad, like it was a bad offseason for Pittsburgh, we also, I also kept saying, well, the what if, for them to overcome this, they're going to have to, and I was half joking, well, maybe they drafted Najee Harris, Najee, and, and all of a sudden they're going to double their play action rate and all that stuff. And it's not necessarily because of Najee, but having Matt Canada there, right? And I yeah. wanted to see how Matt Canada meshed with ben, Big Ben and the play action and the motion stuff. And those aren't cure-alls for everything. But the offense just looks different. And it looks like they will have enough misdirection. They will have enough play action to have a better run game this year with Najee. Not a force-fed run game, a better, more efficient run game, which is a part of what Pittsburgh needs to do. More importantly, they needed a more efficient pass game, which I think they'll do by a little bit of trickeration, the play action stuff. And when you look at their playmaking situation, which is where I start with every offense, what's the quarterback and their playmaking situation? And is the offensive line good enough? I think they can protect the offensive line maybe enough. And then Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju, Fryermuth, and then Najee coming out of the backfield. I think there's a lot of potential there that it's going to be legitimately competitive in the AFC North with the Steelers, Ravens, and Browns. The two things that are critical is, one, the, big, the biggest issue for them was the idea that their offensive line could be anything other than terrible based off the personnel and what they did and what they lost was almost – it was so far-fetched it was difficult to countenance earlier this offseason – Based off preseason, it actually looks like that line might be okay. Now, there's still going to be some problem spots, but all of a sudden, it's not going to be the thing that like cripples the entire team. It's going to be good enough that everything else can function. The other issue was, um, like you were making this point earlier in the offseason, that, hey, what if Ben Roethlisberger bounces back? And not bounces yeah. back, like all the way back to in his the, ceiling. In the range of outcomes there, right? But like bounces back to being a good quarterback again. And, okay, it's been 10 dropbacks, right? So everything we just said about Jameis Winston and variance applies to Roethlisberger as well. But the 10 dropbacks did look different. Like, he looked more like old Ben Roethlisberger than he did last year when he was the first year back from that, you know, fairly major elbow reconstruction. With older quarterbacks, especially like Brady now at 44, the only thing I really want to see from the old quarterbacks is have they lost anything physically? So Brady gets out there the other night. He's zipping it around. Okay, so so we're not going to see the Peyton arm strength yeah. this year. We're not going to see that decline. Same thing with Big Ben. You know, he's one year removed from the elbow surgery. He comes out. He's zipping it around a little bit. Okay, he's he's fine physically. Now, there's more to it. I think I mentioned last year, too, Drew Brees' decline, I think, showed up in actual velocity. I think it also shows up in just being rushed. You feel your mind is moving maybe a little bit quicker because you know you've got some other physical limitation as well. So that still remains to be seen with even a Brady, with a Roethlisberger and all that stuff. But even on 10 snaps, it's like, okay, is he okay physically? Looks good, yeah. Big Ben. So so it's a good, encouraging start. Um, and just like the Packers last year, I think the Packers had a bad offseason and they had a very good regular season. Um, where do, we, do you want to touch on J.K. Dobbins a little bit? 
Or do you think – I mean, he's out. He's out for the season. Ravens uh, likely starting running back. Gus Edwards come in, comes in. Gus Edwards has averaged over five yards per carry in that offense in yeah. his career. Uh, He'll be fine. I mean – The they, Ravens always seem to be fine. Yeah, well, particularly with the running backs. I mean, the, the run game is as good as it is because of Lamar Jackson. Right. Not because – like, not – Lamar Jackson, solid offensive line, good scheme. And the scheme is tied to Lamar. Right, exactly. It's Lamar and the threat of what he does and the scheme and all those things open up lanes for running backs. So even like forget what Lamar brings in terms of actual production rushing the football. Just the threat that he poses on every single snap makes life easier for J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards and whoever it is that's going to be carrying the ball for them. Um, and it was one of the reasons like – you know, J.K. Dobbins looks like a fantastic running back. He's clearly got talent. He's physically gifted. Even you know, a couple of snaps before he went down this week, he looked he looked good. Um, but pretty much everybody is going to look fine in that offense just because of what Lamar Jackson brings to it and the space that it creates for everybody. So Gus Edwards has been incredibly productive in this offense every time he's had the ball. I don't imagine that changing. Um, we'll, we'll get into some of the players who could get cut or traded, but I guess in this set, in this discussion, on my list of players who could potentially be available, your boy, Rashad Penny from the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Josh Adams, currently with the Jets, playing with the, playing with the Eagles. I've always just liked the way Josh Adams runs. Uh, Benny Snell could be out there. Boston Scott Boston. could be out there. I'm, I'm looking at guys that are just lower on the depth chart. They just could play. be available. Royce Freeman. In Denver, could be a fit for Baltimore. Peyton Barber. What about David Johnson in Houston? And we'll talk about Houston in a second. So if you're the Ravens and the running back carries the ball that many times, as, as smart as we say that the Ravens are and as much as we say never, ever draft a running back before round four, they did it with Dobbins, right? They felt like they needed to have a, a difference between the average running back. They felt like they needed to have an above average running back, clearly, mm -hmm. by drafting Dobbins in round two. Will they make a move here to replace him? David Johnson would be intriguing. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting that they've always kind of gone with some kind of committee approach in this minefield. They haven't just loaded up one guy relentlessly yeah. and had him be like a 300-carry monster. Um, so Gus Edwards is suddenly taking a lot of the – is obviously going to pick up the majority of the workload from J.K. Dobbins. But he's not going to be a 300 right. guy. So the question is, do they trust, you know, Justice Hill to be – to take that kind of role? Or do they want to upgrade on that position and have a guy that they're more comfortable with sort of splitting work with Gus Edwards more evenly? There will be running backs available for them to do that. I, I don't know whether they want to dive into that. I, I Maybe they don't need to. Gus Edwards, 6'1", 238. I mean, and when they had him and Ingram, the couple bigger backs, Ingram was running two years ago because they, they just soured on him last year. And he get, he's gotten older. Ingram was running mean. You know those angry runs that mm -hmm. Brant does on, on our competitor here, Good Morning Football. <laughs> I mean, Mark Ingram, plus the, the downhill speed that you can hit the hole in that Ravens offense. I mean, I do believe they believe in that physicality and, and – and I do wonder if they if they want bigger backs or if they want to complement it with speed backs. I'm always of the mind, if you have a good running game that puts guys in space, give me the speed guy. Give me the guy that runs 4-3, yeah. uh, like Raheem Mostert in, in San Francisco. If you're going to put him in space as Kyle Shanahan, I want a guy taking it to the house. And a guy that could take it to the house would be a nice compliment to Gus Edwards there. But, um, yeah, losing Dobbins, uh, certainly not ideal. He averaged 5.8 yards per carry in, in last year. And that – 
that's part of it, right? I mean, if, if they can grab any Gus Edwards undrafted free agent and have him average five, I think they were saying, well, if you give us a Dobbins, we'll average almost six. Right. They almost did last they year. they have been, yeah. Um, so it, there is value in upgrading your running back, and I'm curious to see if the Ravens end up doing something here and try to take a flyer on somebody. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they're, that, they're a prime candidate for you know waiting to cut day, Wait, seeing what cut day produces. Yeah. It's Tuesday, right? Um, waiting to see what surfaces and cut day and then potentially claiming a running back to add to that group imagine their running the game is that good that it's like yeah this five yard per carry guy that's that's our baseline yeah it would be interesting it is interesting to see what style of running back they claim if they claim one like if they like another guy that might be available is latavius murray who's been a latavius quality starter when he's been given opportunities the saints seem to have soured on him generally if he gets the open market, it would be a natural fit within that offense. But again, that skews more to the Gus Edwards style of bruising power back, the guy that's definitely going to guarantee you some yardage, um, versus do they try and find a guy with that breakaway speed and somebody that can uh, bring something different. Ingram was a train wreck with his 4.2 yards per attempt last year in that offense. Can't have it. And they just said, nope, you're done, Mark Ingram. The baseline is five yards per attempt here in Baltimore. And it's kind of it's kind of the truth. Uh, Jamar Chase dropped another pass, mm. screen pass, which I think is his last four targets now have been dropped. Does he have the yips, man? Does he have the? Yips? Well, yeah, four straight drops. That's that's about as yip as it gets. This one was like it was a, a wide receiver screen, um, and it like you know you so you make your move, hands up, like perfect technique, and it went through them and hit him in the face. Like he didn't even. <laughs> it didn't even like hit the hands, then drop. Like it Pop went Warner through his hands. To, like make the diamond, right? Well, that's what he did. Except it went through <laughs> the diamond, through smacked the diamond. him in the face cage. He's not used to Joe Burrow's velocity. Yeah, yeah. Let's make more excuses for Jamar. It, I mean, it's bad, like that. Yeah. So do we? Um, do we have concerns? Like when <laughs> when John Ross was doing this, we we're laughing at him, right? But this is Jamar Chase. He's supposed to be so much better than this. Are, there, are these concerns or just get him out of your system, kid? I mean, be a gamer. It's concerning in that, you know, anytime a receiver drops four straight passes, it's not a good thing. Uh, but, I mean, there's, I don't know what the reason for it is, but I can't imagine it being a long term permanent problem. Like, we've seen too much of, of Jamar Chase being really, really good for him to suddenly become a completely non viable guy who can't catch the ball. So, all right, there's a bad run of it right now. It's not. So with, with Panay Sewell struggling, and obviously these two are linked forever, um, with Panay Sewell struggling, you can at least point to things that he's doing badly and say, all right, this is a thing that might take a while to work its way out, right? The fact that he's been moved from the left to the right side, his footwork isn't where it should be, his hand usage isn't where it should be, his, like, his punch on the his strike on the defensive uh, end, the, the pass rusher is not where it needs to be, and it's causing him problems like top to bottom. With Jamar Chase, you're not looking at this and you're like, well, everything he's doing here is wrong. It's like, I mean, that was just a pass that anybody catches and it hit him in the face. Like, that's not a, well, I see your issue here is your, your route running is not up to snuff at the NFL level and that's causing you to be half a step behind and that's why the ball hit you in the head. No, like, this is just, it's something happened. He took his eye off the ball and it smacked him in the face. I would assume that isn't going to happen every single play. I wish he did more good things, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that would be nice. Jamar. Um, I bet the Bengals wish that as well. 
it'll be fascinating to watch Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell develop. The Sewell thing, like you said, there's a very specific excuse moving to right tackle. Even though others have done it, he's moving to right tackle. Looks well, very uncomfortable. You think he's going to get one clear game. excuse. I mean, the th- with all these guys, everybody is going to bring up the idea that, oh, they haven't played football in a year, right? But they're only going to bring those up for the ones that are bad. Like the guys that are, haven't played football for a year, and oh, by the way, it hasn't made any bit of difference whatsoever, you're but not going to hear about of, it. But a lot of those guys are defensive players. Uh, Micah Parsons is playing good football. Joe Tryon, Gregory Rousseau. Those are three of the opt-outs that I'm thinking of that were all on the defensive side. Caleb Farley opted out. He's, it's a, he's, been, he's been okay. But maybe it's just a defense versus offense thing. I don't, I I don't know. It's, it's such just, a small sample of, of stuff. Yeah, I think it's just what you want to make the point. Like, if the guy's struggling, you're going to say, well, he hasn't played no, he hasn't played football. And if he's playing well, you're not going to mention it. But the attackers, the, the defensive linemen and all that stuff seem to be doing okay. The guys that take a little bit more technique and precision, the offensive players who are, I don't know, maybe, I know. I maybe this is something You're to just it. trying to read a pattern that isn't there. I am. I, this or might what, be there, but it doesn't mean anything. Listen, we've got Thursday and then a Monday show before we even get to our week one preview. We've got... And Wednesday. And Wednesday. Don't forget we get the Wednesday show here too. So we're here on Monday morning. We're here on Wednesday. Look, the people are filling up here on the, uh, the YouTube channel. Loving, loving the Monday morning NFL podcast. I, I want to discuss the Texans. Okay. All right. Don't, nobody leave. Nobody leave. This will be a good discussion. It's going to be a good discussion about what the Texans are doing here. Purchasing draft picks. Okay. So we were sitting here because, you know, we love team building season. I'm ready for it. Already. I'm ready for free agency. Hmm. I'm ready for the team. Season hasn't started. I'm ready for team building season. Do you ever do that? Do you ever play uh, Madden franchise mode and you, know, you just kind of simulate? You do the offseason, you simulate the season, maybe play a game or two and just get to team building? No. You, you're missing out. Huh. Okay. If you, do you ever play the college football series? Yeah, Over years ago. I mean, that's what you do. You just recruit. You just recruit, simulate the season, recruit, just keep building that team. Okay. Made it to 2083 one time. <laughs> what? It's a good summer, 2080. When you have a yeah. summer in Montana, you know, there's not much else going on. Sometimes you play. You don't want to get out and see nature? No? Big sky? No, no, no. Oh, 2083 okay. is what you get to right. once the college football game gets out. You recruit, you simulate the season, you recruit again, you build a powerhouse. Uh, but the Texans, during T-building season, were like, what are they doing? They clearly have to rebuild. They brought in 900 free agents. Yeah. They were all... The Chris Conleys of the world, Desmond Kings of the world. Desmond Kings is fine, good player. Uh, Terrence Mitchell, Marcus Cannon. It is just all sorts of players who are just good, okay, solid players, short contracts. They're not a part of the big rebuild, but Shaq Lawson's one of the players that they brought in, and they just flipped him for a sixth-round pick, and they paid about $8 million for a signing bonus. Uh, the Jets get him for a sixth-rounder. Uh, the Jets are doing this because Chase, uh, Carl Lawson got hurt, and the Jets aren't really mortgaging their future, just giving up a sixth for Shaq Lawson. What do you think of the Texan strategy? I really think they got all these players, and at some point they're not going to be contenders, and some contender is going to be saying, we'll, we'll give you a fifth for Desmond King, we'll give you a sixth for Terrence Mitchell, we'll give you this for Marcus Cannon when we have an offensive line injury, and the Texans could rack up all this draft capital. The Lawson one is one that doesn't make sense because they paid a lot for him. Um, the, they've done it for the bunch of other guys, though, as well. They've already flipped for low draft picks. Those make some sense because at that point, you are legitimately just paying a little bit of cash for a low draft pick. Now, my concern is still, like, I still don't understand what the project is. 
Like that in isolation is actually a smart thing to be doing. If you don't care about cash, which if you're a rich team and you have the money to spend, why would you, right? If you're prepared to essentially swap cash for draft picks, this is actually a really smart thing to do. Sign a whole bunch of guys in the offseason, stash them on the team, on the roster, for a couple of months of training camp, and then just before cut day, send five, six, seven, ten of them to other teams for a bunch of low draft picks. And all of a sudden, you have double the number of picks you had in the upcoming draft, and all it costs you is a little bit of cash and some roster spots during training camp that you probably weren't going to use on anybody of consequence anyway. So from that point of view, actually, that makes a lot of sense. My whole, my whole point with the Texans, like from start to finish in this current regime has been, okay, but like, what is the plan to fix this? Like, that makes sense, but it doesn't make any more sense than just signing like 25 guys that were intriguing at the bottom end of your roster anyway and seeing what sticks. Like that, I was already okay with that as a concept. Like, sign a bunch of these guys three, four, five of them will pan out, and all of a sudden you've got some interesting players, right? And the other guys will trade for draft picks. That's an, Sure. But that's, a, that's not a bad strategy. Agreed. But it wasn't a bad strategy before you factored in the draft pick element of it either. My point is simply, like, how are we fixing this? Like, what, <laughs> you still have nothing at the top end of the roster, and that's the important part. It all you're doing is, like, shuffling around the rubble that is the Houston Texans. It has to be, it has to be a three-year deal. It has to be a three-year process because even you mentioned this before the the playoff team the Texans were a playoff team in 2019. Let's not forget uh-huh. they were also a playoff team that we were like, hey, it's uh, Deshaun Watson's a good quarterback and the offensive line's been better and they had DeAndre Hopkins at the time, but man, this defense is is just falling apart at the seams. And last year it bottomed out. It was horrible, and the rest of the roster has just been getting worse and worse for the last four or five years it's just the reality of what's happening in houston so it's probably going to take a few years to get it back and i agree that you do it through draft capital and even if it does feel like a sixth here and a sixth there it's ammunition to move up to move down if you're smart you start taking a sixth and you make it next year's fifth and you make that next year's fourth and and i'm not saying it's like 2027 before the texans are better but that stuff all adds up i and and it's like okay what else were you going to do in free agency if if they went and spent went four years 20 million on you know name joe schmo defensive end and that's like okay i'm going to pay all this money for this defensive end who's going to be here for two years before i have to cut him during our rebuild what's the point of that they're at least getting something in free agency which points to the draft and then they just have to you know maneuver the draft properly here i just don't see a single thing that indicates that they are addressing the big picture like, I see a bunch of little small, like, they're doing all the things that, like, the Patriots typically do, right? Which is... Without Tom Brady at quarterback? Right, which is, like, <laughs> steal a tiny edge here and there in five different ways, and all of a sudden, you have a demonstrably better side than other people because those edges add up, and in a game of inches, you know, what's the, the Al Pacino line? That's going to be the fucking difference between winning and losing, right? That's what they're doing, except they don't have... The foundation. They don't have like the things that put you in that position. The, that the edge that you achieve by racking up like five or six little small percentage points to make you better than the Ravens, right? That only matters if you were vaguely comparable to the Ravens to begin with. If the Ravens are already a twenty-five point favorite when you start off doing all this stuff, 
You didn't do anything. All you did is move 25-point favorite to 24-point favorite. you got to start somewhere, Sam. I, I made this analogy a bunch of times so far, but, like, the Texans, they're trying to build their own house, right? The whole thing is all they did, they went, they found a nice piece of land overlooking a river, beautiful view. We're going to create this, our dream home on this thing, and then we're going to win a Super Bowl at the end of it, right? And so far, all they've done is create this, like, big muddy hole in the ground. There's nothing there yet. There's no foundation slab. There's no walls. There's no chimney. And all they're doing is going into meetings, like discussing the plaster work that's going to be on the ceiling and which color light fixtures are going to be in the bathrooms. It's like, dude, you haven't even put concrete in this muddy hole over here. That's the first thing you need to do because otherwise none of this matters. You should call my dad. He's a concrete guy. Oh, yeah? You get your slab? They, they, don't know. Call they just don't know if they have their concrete guy yet because their concrete guy but could they're, they're be really good, making... but there's 22 lawsuits out on him. But not not even... my dad. The, the not quarterback even like, is the analogy no... I'm going for here. There's, they're not even like picking up the phone, calling around concrete guys, unless you think that's how what like, these trade know? rumors are. How do you know? Again, you're, I'm making, just saying, you're making assumptions There's here. no evidence that they are doing anything of substance to build this house. They don't know <laughs> what's going to happen with their quarterback. That's they the only thing know. of substance is unless you're claiming that the entire master plan all along is to take the dude with 22 civil lawsuits hanging over his head and God knows how many criminal charges and flip him for all of the draft picks and all of a sudden you've got something to create a foundation with. I mean, if anything, they're, they're holding out as long as they can to max. They're trying to at least maximize that value. Um, they're probably putting feelers out there saying, hey, the Dolph Dolphins are close. Hello, Panthers. Hey, Panthers, did you hear that? The Dolphins are close. Yeah. I don't know what happened this weekend. There was a lot of rumors that the Dolphins were done, done. They were going to make the deal. Um, they're obviously denying it. The uh, rumors are nuts. The rumors are three first-round draft picks, two second-round draft picks for a guy who might be in jail in six months' time. And, well, and Burt Breer was reporting, too, in his— um, but Don't worry, we'll have pick protection. What the hell even is that? It, was, it would be all conditional. It would have to be all conditional. We, we will trade you our next two drafts on the condition that he isn't in jail. But that's why if you're the Texans, you're almost better off just holding on to him. You're really better off just holding on to him at that point. Because if wow. you, even if you got three conditional first and two conditional seconds, say, yeah. and they're all based off of playing time, and then we, who knows what happens there, then you didn't get anything. Yeah. If you hold on to them, there's a chance you either get nothing because, you know, bad stuff happened and, and he's at fault. and that, Or he gets through all of it somehow and is, you know, an NFL player who's not suspended at some point and some team's going to really want him and you get your value then. So I, I just don't know. The Texans, I mean, the other answer was they should have just traded him in February before any of the stuff yeah. happened. Um, but they were hopeful because it's not easy, man. Like before the charges showed up, it wasn't an easy decision for the Texans other than they were at odds and, you know, Deshaun Watson didn't want to play there, but they fought, felt like they could talk him back into it. And who the heck wants to trade him when you have to then spend your net, those five picks you got to try to find another capable quarterback like him? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's just it's a it's a tough situation for the Texans having the worst roster and now the worst off field situation for a quarterback and having to stitch it all together. The bottom and line. that's why they just wanted to end training camp, man. They were just trying to quit training camp a few weeks ago, and the NFL wouldn't let them. I know. It's a mean NFL. All I wanted them. to talk about is the fact that they went from an offseason that I didn't understand, that you were like, oh, I kind of get it. I didn't really understand it, to 
if the strategy was to accumulate all these veteran players, flip them all for draft picks, I'm, I'm a little intrigued by that I, particular move in this Texan. I just film. don't see that that's changed anything from a, like a month and a half ago where you didn't see that element of it. I mean, yeah, like that part was never was never something that I disagreed with. Like they threw a ton of darts at the board and they were probably going to hit on some guys. And OK, now you add in the extra element of hey, and the guys we didn't hit in. We might be able to trade away for some six round picks. Like, OK, but even if you even if you accumulate the entire sixth round in next year's draft, then what the hell are you going to do with that? That's not going to move you anywhere. I, the value of a fifth and sixth round pick is fascinating to me because if you make the actual picks, you don't get a whole bunch of high yeah. quality players. So you use but, the sixth round. Like, but <laughs> if you're a team that's close to contending, yeah, or try- which they're not. Like what they what, they can take all those six round picks that they just accumulated from all the veterans that they traded away and spend them on veterans that other teams are trying to trade away. But if you take four, if you have four six round picks, you might get one out of those six. All I'm saying is the value of a sixth round pick is pretty good. If you're a team like the Ravens that all of a sudden flips one for Clayus Campbell and, and or even the Jets, I mean the sixth round pick can net you a Shaq Lawson, who's a good solid rotational defensive end, right? Potential starting defensive end, which, which is, is why other teams are trying to acquire them. But it's fine. The Texans can accumulate them and continue to push them down the road, and then they start flipping them for the veteran players when they want them on the team. They don't need the veteran players on their team right now because they're not going to win this year. I'm intrigued. Color me intrigued. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this up with some of the potential cuts and trades. And Shaq Lawson was on my list, and look at him. Ends up getting traded. Oh, uh, really quick. I want to touch on – you watched Tyler Huntley back up yeah. for the Ravens this weekend pretty closely – and then Malik Taylor, the wide receiver for the Packers. I just want to highlight a couple players who just balled out this preseason. Malik Taylor, six foot two, two hundred fifteen pound wide receiver for the Packers, looks like a guy who could legitimately compete for targets as opposite Devontae Adams. Incredible ball skills, um, size, the type of uh, runs the vertical route tree pretty well. He's the type of guy I think that would that could emerge and Aaron Rodgers would like. I know he likes Alan Lazard, but if he steal, he could be competing with Alan Lazard, and I think he'll make the roster in Green Bay and is just an intriguing player at the moment. I, I just ran the numbers, by the way, using the, uh, the Jimmy Johnson trade chart. If you traded every single pick in the sixth round, you could get number 32 overall. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? All you need to do is trade, you know, 30-something picks. No all, one, all of them. You package that up. Send it to the, the Bucks. You get number 32. All right, you've lost time on Tyler Huntley. I, almost, I, I also promised two QB systems. Let's discuss. Two, two QB systems. <laughs> Tyler Huntley looked about. amazing. Like, absolutely incredible. Now we're, I mean, just, we're on the different pages. Well, here. I just want to actually All right, touch do on something. Tyler Huntley. He looked insane. I mean, he, this idea of, you know, will the NFL figure out Lamar Jackson? If they do, you're okay because Tyler Huntley looked incredible. Now, look, it's, this is, it's the perfect example of, hey, look, it's preseason and one game can tell you anything. He was – that's as good a game as anybody has played this preseason in its entirety, and he got almost all of it. Um, does that mean that Tyler Huntley is that guy all the time? No, probably not. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to have some bad plays that weren't there this time. But the high-end stuff is incredible, and he's a perfect Lamar Jackson backup because he's one of the few players in the NFL that's at least in the vicinity of where Lamar Jackson is in terms of athleticism spectrum. Like, he isn't Lamar Jackson. He's probably a couple of tenths slower in the 40. He's not quite as dynamic as a, uh, in terms of moves in space. 
but he's big, he's fast, he's like athletic, he's got a good arm. I mean, he looked like a fantastic player in that game. He finished his – he had a solid career at Utah, and then his last year, 90 overall PFF grade, 89 passing grade. I don't think he's – I don't think his arm's great. Looked pretty good. But he had touch throws that he was making and everything. I mean, Huntley might be a find. And it was it was another one of those things where the grading was – the grading was solid in college and, and it looked good. And, and maybe that's, um, you know – the guy you want to take a flyer on in the late rounds of the Raven it might may have paid paid off of the Ravens. He's been forced into action a couple of times for Baltimore, like in the regular season so far, and has right. looked good. I mean, that's he he looks like a very good backup, particularly for them. So that's our intriguing player part of the podcast. Malik Taylor, wide receiver quick. for the Packers for me, Tyler Huntley for you. Done. QB for the Ravens. Yeah, Easy. Let's discuss two QB systems, then we'll get into some of the trade and cut candidates. Could this be a legitimate thing? Yeah. I told you this last week. Yeah, but you said it. You went this. Uh, you guys got to go listen to this theory that Sam had. He thinks he's going to roll in to the Broncos meeting and say, Teddy, no. we're playing a bad team this week. Look. Teddy Bridgewater, you're the starter. Uh, oh, we're playing uh, We're playing the Chiefs. Drew Locke, we need you because cause you're just crazy. Sometimes you do crazy stuff, and sometimes it's really good, and we're hoping for the really good stuff. Go beat the Chiefs this week, Drew Locke. That's your version of the 2QB system. No, you are conflating two separate things that I said in last week's show. That's what I heard. I said, one, that Denver, since they don't actually have a good quarterback, might be best suited using their two very different stylistic quarterbacks and alternating them on a week-to-week basis depending on the opposition. If they're playing garbage, you put Teddy out there because he's the least likely to screw it up. If you're playing a team where you're overmatched, like the Chiefs, you put Drew Locke out there because at least the upside is he goes on a, a run of high variance, doesn't have mistakes, and he's at least capable, potentially, of going toe-to-toe with a better team in a way that Teddy probably isn't. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't sell it as, hey, you're starting this week because we're playing a really crappy team and we think you're the best person to not screw it up, I would find a better way of dressing that up. Uh, But that's the opinion. Good luck with that. My other point was I think my prediction was that at some point this year, an NFL team is going to legitimately use some form of two-quarterback system, like in a way that is beyond just the Taysom Hill package for a couple of gimmick plays every game. Now that one you might be right. Right. And right on the heels of that, we have the 49ers running effectively a two-quarterback system in their final preseason game. Yeah, my, my argument for the – going back to the Trey Lance-Mac Jones thing, my argument for Trey Lance is Kyle Shanahan gets to add a massive element to his run game, which is already incredible. Mm-hmm. He's already an outside zone genius. He added gap schemes to his arsenal for the first time in his career in 2019. Like, actually – running power and counter and backside pullers and things that they just didn't do before. It was always outside zone, got to live it, breathe it. Um, Now you kind of go back to when he had RG3. Okay, you had the quarterback element. Again, the run game is all about winning. It's about angles that Shanahan always talks about, but it's about box count and winning the math. A running quarterback allows you to do that. Trey Lance allows you to do that. He is a weapon on the goal line because of that. And, of course, he's not just a runner. He can throw two. So, yeah, I can see the Niners absolutely tapping into that early on in the season. I, I think a big part of it, though, is we have, we have 35, maybe more, legitimate starters in today's NFL. Somebody in the YouTube comments just ma- mentioned Taylor Heineke. I mean, mm. Taylor Heineke could be a legitimate starter in the NFL. We don't know yet. 
Um, but the Patriots could be sitting there with Mac Jones and Cam Newton. Do, is Cam Newton ready to be a backup quarterback in the NFL? I don't think so. But Mac Jones, Cam Newton, Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo's not a backup in the NFL. He's, he's a starting caliber uh, quarterback. Justin Fields, Andy Dalton. I mean, maybe it's time for Andy Dalton to be the to be a backup. Yeah. But there are enough starting caliber quarterbacks, and I'm I am fascinated to see. And then we've got you know Tamus, of course, um, a legitimate two two QB system. I think you're right. We're, we might see it. But the other thing is, there's so many different styles of these quarterbacks. So even if you have two guys that are vaguely similar in terms of like overall quality, you know, each one of these guys is going to spit out a 65 PFF grade. Okay, but is there a scenario whereby they're, they're good at different things and some combination of the two of them creates a grade that's better than 65, you know? So that, like, that's my rough suggestion in terms of Denver, but it's on a week-to-week basis. But what about in the same game? Like if you have Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance who are very different stylistically, is there a combination of the two of them where you get better than, than the sum of the parts, right? Just playing both of them at the same time causes defenses enough problems that you maximize what they're good at and hide the things that they're not great at. And that's the thing, Cam Newton and Mac Jones is similar as well. Even if you put Mac Jones in as the starter, there are areas where Cam Newton is going to be more beneficial. Like if I'm facing a third and two, I would prefer Cam Newton to be out there because he brings things that you have to defend that Mac Jones doesn't. Right, And, and and that stuff goes beyond the grade. I mean, that goes beyond, like, as much as the PFF grade, I think, is the biggest driver of team performance and all that stuff. Um, again, just PFF grade doesn't account for changing the math in the box and all that stuff or um, or putting the defense in a bind and saying, hey, third and two, Cam Newton's on the field, and we've got a massive offensive line and these running backs, and we've got all these different options. So um, I, I am intrigued by that. Let me just paint a quick picture here, too. Last year there were 22 quarterbacks who had a PFF passing grade of 70 or better. So that's in the green. It's, it's 68, 67 is about average. So, so a lot of players above average from a passing standpoint. Some of the guys who ranked below average include Ben Roethlisberger, Cam Newton, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, we mentioned Minshew was below average, Carson Wentz. All of those guys have been better than that, though, at, at some point in their career. And I'm not saying it all comes to a head, but we really might be at this point just painting a picture here. What if there were 28 NFL quarterbacks that could grade 70 or better from a PFF grading standpoint? Like, they're all capable. We, I don't think we've been in this world before. So if you are a guy that – if 70 used to be good and solid. Now, if you're at that level, you're one of the worst in the NFL just by the way the league is going. So you're creating that advantage – either with a second quarterback or with the run game or whatever it might be is something teams have to look at. Yeah. And I, I think there's different ways of achieving it as well. Like, you know, the, the most obvious one is the Cam Newton, um, Mac Jones thing where Cam Newton becomes like a devastating goal line, short yardage type of thing that you have to defend or the Trey Lance, um, Jimmy Garoppolo thing. But there's also like, how do you, in the past, NFL teams have used like red zone quarterbacks where, you know, they've had one guy take it between the twenties and then another guy comes in for the red zone. And interestingly, teams have done it, I think in opposite ways, like the red zone has been used. Bill Walsh used the red zone as sort of the easy part 
you know, you bring in, that's when you ease in Joe Montana, right? You, you get somebody else to get you to the 20, and then Montana comes in starting where it's to, easier. Starting to question Bill Walsh's genius. Right. Montana comes in where it's somehow easier and throws a touchdown, and that's, that's how you ease him into the game. And other teams have done it the other way, where actually the hardest part is when you get to the red zone, everything's condensed and blah, blah. Right. So we have, like, the bad quarterback, quote, unquote, between the 20s. Once we get there, just to make sure he doesn't screw it up, we throw out Kurt Warner. And Kurt Warner can go in there and make sure he doesn't turn it over. Um, so there's the, the idea of, like, red zone versus not. But, or there's just, do you alternate? Like, is there a scenario where you can go, like, quarter by quarter or drive by drive and just give a defense something different to look at every single, uh, every single time they, they show up? I, I think there's mileage to the idea of, look, the idea before is if you, don't, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. I don't think that's true anymore. Like, it might be that if you have two quarterbacks, neither of them are great. You're not in a – I mean, obviously you're in a worse situation than a team that has one really good one. But there might be a way – there's an, there's an element of um, things you can do with two quarterbacks that you can't with the one that might actually help you. Like, you know, you hear all the time about how we're not going to name the starter this week because that way the, the defense can't prepare for that one guy. They've got to prepare for both and it wastes their time. What if every week is that week? Not, not only do you have to prepare for both these guys, but you have to expect it in every single game because we're, we're just going to alternate them. We know that neither one of these guys is amazing, but we're going to make your life more miserable by having to deal with both of them. My one counter to that, though, and, I, and that is a thing, right? You put the defense in a bind, and yeah, preparing for Jimmy Garoppolo plus Trey Lance is difficult. You still have to practice that. Right, so you still have to give Garoppolo enough reps and sure. give Trey Lance enough reps to make that work on your end too. So it's not just the defense preparing; it's you also preparing. You have to take time to do that as well. People forget that. Yeah, but the the sort of it doesn't matter. <laughs> like it taking a little bit. Yeah. Well, taking reps away from like an unquestioned really good starter is probably not great. Taking reps away from a guy that you're not loving his ability anyway, eh? I'm less concerned about taking his reps away. All right, let's if wrap I valued up. his reps, it wouldn't be a two-quarterback conversation anyway. Let's wrap it up with some players who could be on the move. Um, on my list is Brashad Perryman, Lions wide receiver, just got released this morning. He's a couple years removed from that really intriguing season, former first-round pick with size and speed and had drop issues but resolved them. And If there was ever a team that could use a receiver, it would be the Lions, and they just released Brashad Perryman. That might be the worst indictment of – of him at this point and he was only worth two and a half million dollars and they paid two million like guaranteed like they they'd already sunk the money into him and still right. decided it wasn't worth it so not sure exactly what happened there uh, we mentioned the three tight ends zach Ertz in philadelphia hayden hurst in atlanta and oj howard in tampa bay maybe cameron Brait in tampa bay i don't know but oj howard seems like he could be the odd man out in tampa bay they could also just roll into the season with four yeah. legitimate uh, three legitimate tight ends and one intriguing upside tight end that's on the roster as well. Um, but yeah, for teams, there there are a lot of tight end needy teams around the NFL. I think Jacksonville is certainly one of them. They would be a potential landing spot for Ertz, Hayden Hurst, or OJ Howard if they are available due to depth chart situations. Or just Ertz being older and Eagles being in rebuilding mode. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the Eagles are particularly keen on getting rid of Zach Ertz seems like they're happy enough with him being there and he was one of the most talked about trade candidates earlier in the offseason and then that all kind of disappeared and all of a sudden he's just stuck there I suspect he would be fine with getting out of Philadelphia but they seem to be perfectly content with having two of those tight ends and knowing 
that Jalen Hurts is going to be targeting tight ends a lot, and it actually behooves them to have both Goddard and Hurts on the roster. Um, O.J. Howard is is the intriguing one, though, because obviously the injury last year kept him out of that the, the whole season almost. Um, he's been back in preseason, looks a little bit rusty. Maybe, I mean, you would assume he's the lowest guy on the totem pole just because of all that, but is still the guy with the most pedigree in terms of first-round talent, the best athlete of the group, and certainly has a ton of upside for a team that doesn't have a good tight end situation if he becomes available. Yeah, and last year when O.J. Howard, before he got hurt, Antonio Brown wasn't on the team. So when you looked at their roster last year, it was like, oh, they have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and yeah, Scotty Miller's out there at receiver. But you would say, okay, you have O.J. Howard and Gronk and Brait. Those are the those are your playmakers. Now you know Tampa Bay is going to be wanting to run three wide receivers a lot with that top trio. You know Gronk is going to see his time. Mm-hmm. Cameron Brait has been as solid and dependable as Howard, even if the upside, quote-unquote upside, might not be there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just going to be tough to get everybody snaps there. Yeah. And Scotty Miller is still going to run you know 10 deep routes a, a game as well. So there's just a lot of footballs to go around in Tampa Bay. A um, couple of our favorite receivers, Tim Patrick for me at the Denver Broncos, Denzel Mims playing pretty well for the Jets. Grade-wise, Mims is up there. Do, do you think he's available in year two here? Again, I, I just made this list of guys who either you've got a new regime and they're in year two, rumors – or they're just not high up on the depth chart, or they're hitting free agency, whatever it is. But again, if I'm a receiver needy team, I'm thinking about Tim Patrick. And if the Jets are soured on Denzel Mims, I'm thinking about him as well. Yeah, I don't really know what to make about the Denzel Mims thing. I mean, they've buried, they buried him on the depth chart. He's been dealing with injuries. He did then play really well when he had preseason game time. Um, I don't know. He's definitely, like, if I was a team with a desperate need at wide receiver, I'd certainly be calling the Jets up and inquiring. Um, I would also wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if that uh, inquiry resulted in like an immediate shutdown. And they're like, no, he's still, you know, still a valuable part of this team. It just hasn't worked out yet. Tim Patrick is the one, though, where you look at that and say, like, even if they like him, it's I mean, it's a real luxury for Denver to carry uh, him on the roster, knowing that he's basically not going to be a factor in this offense if everything else works out fine. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler. Um, Do like, you run four wide a bunch? No, I don't think you're going to run four wide a bunch, but he becomes your contingency. Like, what happens if the Cortland Sutton thing goes down yeah. again? Like, there's value in that, but is it more valuable than the pick you could get by trading him away? Uh, Andre Dillard, former first-round offensive tackle for the Eagles. A lot of rumors about him potentially being a trade candidate. It is a crazy story. Jordan Mailata the former Australian rugby player, has emerged as the starting left tackle candidate with the Eagles. Now, he played all of last year. Mylotta had one of the highest uh, highest percentage of positively graded run blocks, highest percentage of negatively graded run blocks. But you can see he can absolutely move people. And for a guy that just – this is where you can almost expect linear development, right? A guy who's so young and new at football picked it up early – and he has legitimately continued to get better, and he's probably going to win the starting spot, puts Dillard out on the trading block. Yeah, he looks good. I mean, Mylata was always kind of intriguing when he, I mean, not just because of the story, but when he first started getting game time. It's like, all right, this this guy's, this isn't bad. Like, there's a lot of these guys where the story is incredible and they get on the field and they're like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just it's a big stretch to imagine this guy actually achieving anything, but from day one, like, Mylata's actually flashed the ability to, to do this, 
and has continued to get consistently better, eliminate the bad, um, and all of a sudden looks like he could be like a pretty good starting tackle. On Left the, tackle. And, and Dillard, his question mark, uh, coming out of Washington State, spread Mike Leach offense, hasn't been a great run blocker, has not taken to that. So I don't know how many teams are looking for a guy who's better in pass pro and hasn't necessarily been elite there when he's had a chance on the field. A couple defensive players, both Cowboys linebackers, Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch, are those guys both available given Micah Parsons, Jabril Cox investment, Keanu Neal coming in there. If you're a linebacker needy team, are you calling about Jalen Smith? Are you calling about late, especially Vander Esch? Yeah. Right? He's he's had those injuries, but man, he looked like he was ready to become one of those you know perennial top five linebackers a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, he was the best of that group that his rookie year um in terms of like performance he looked like the guy that was going to be the best player right away then got injured and hasn't really been the same guy since the thing that would make him more intriguing though than Jalen Smith is the contract like Leighton Vander Esch is still on you know the four-year 12 million dollar deal as opposed to the monster extension that Jalen Smith got if both those guys have fallen by the wayside and are backups and are available like one of them is coming with a monster deal. Like you're committing not just let's see if this guy, let's kick the tires and see if there's a reclamation to be had. One of them is let's kick the tires and it's going to be expensive as hell. The other one is much more like intriguing in terms of value. I it definitely would be taking a look at a guy like Leighton Vanderish if he's available. One other name I want to mention defensively, Juan Thornhill, uh, heading into year three with the Kansas City Chiefs. He had a really nice rookie season, kind of took a step back last year. He's been playing fourth quarter for the Chiefs very rare for a guy second round pick with that pedigree with a track record of uh, success at least at one point 77 career coverage grade not sure what's happening with Juan Thornhill but if he's available and you t your team needs a safety probably picking up the phone looking at Thornhill better yeah. free safety than anything had some tackling issues um would you be intrigued if you're a team that already has a good receiving group with potentially grabbing Nikhil Harry so Nikhil Harry has been an unmitigated disaster so far for the Patriots. Total bust, can't get open, can't separate, uh, started to drop passes that, you know, you're supposed to be a contested catch guy. But he's big and has run after the catch skills, and if you can scheme him open, can obviously make some plays, along with, you know, everybody else in the NFL. But like, if you have already a number one receiver and, you know, a number two target that you're comfortable in, and have sort of room in the offense for a guy that we can feed bubble screens to or like the manufactured targets for receivers to just get the ball in his hands with some room to run after the catch. Yes. I think that's where he can actually still do damage. He just can't like manufacture his own yardage. Yeah, the thing about Harry, even when he was drafted by the Patriots, I said, because remember at the time they had the worst tight end situation. They lost Gronk. I said, make him a big slot. Let him run the seam and use his body in the middle and then feed him targets. If the question is, is Nikhil Harry a, a decent number four? Yes, he's a decent number four. So I think if you have a good top three, like if you're Arizona, just throwing a team out, because Christian Kirk could be available. If you're Arizona and you run as many screens as you yeah. run. But they, so they would have been perfect like last year, right? Now, I know they got Rondell right, now. Now Rondell, that but that, that's the role I'm talking about, right? If you're going to force feed Larry Fitzgerald, those plays right just to get the ball in his hands because he's such a legend for you like you could if you could force feed Nikhil Harry those targets like that's some that's a guy with some actual run after the catch skills and the ability to break tackles and make people look ridiculous so you know like 
I wouldn't want him being part of my top two rotation or even as a third guy. But if you have that role within your offense, like if you have a specific uh, spot for guy to get those force-fed manufactured targets, I still think he has a useful um, skill set for that. Miami, maybe? Miami's got a top three. They got speed. Presumably they would give those to like Jalen Waddle or Probably. Jakeem Grant. The point though. is there's not a whole lot of – these options and if you're investing in Nikhil Harry to be a one or I mean a two or a three it's risky but as a screen guy certainly some potential there so um, anyway we'll have a lot more on Thursday there's gonna be a lot of moves between now and Wednesday sorry we got a Wednesday show and then Thursday so Wednesday Mike Renner is gonna be on our midweek show remember we added the third show and then Thursday we'll have a lot of uh, reaction to the cuts and the moves and there'll be plenty of news to discuss on Thursday so that'll do it for us don't forget kickoff 30 kickoff 30 over at pff.com 30 percent off any of your pff subscriptions thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll see you wednesday 